Okay, please, if you've got a Bible, would you like to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. Uh, we're going to be looking at the, the subject of the, the city of God, the city of God. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. Uh, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg uh, that no further message be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, uh, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. I've just done that in purple. There's an in-joke at the moment. Uh, You can ask Joanna why I've done it in purple. But I've just done that for you, Joanna, to prove that I love purple. Is that all right? That's just very personal between me. Or the rest of you, that's just an in-joke. I do apologize. Uh, The word city occurs uh, 26 times in the book of Revelation. It's one of the, the book's key images, And the plot of Revelation could actually be read as a tale of two cities. uh, A new and heavenly city, Jerusalem, and the corrupt, sinful, nasty city, Babylon. Revelation uh, predicts that the great city of uh, Babylon is, is destined to suffer a cataclysmic end. Revelation chapter 14, uh, Babylon is singled out as the special object of God's wrath. And uh, she is described as uh, nicely as a harlot and a mother of all whores. Uh, that's Revelation chapter 17. So, uh, nice place. Uh, Babylon uh, is also described in Revelation as the dwelling place of demons, is described as foul and as hateful, drunk with the blood of martyrs. Her sins are said to be as high as heaven itself. And this city, uh, from that position, will, is, is uh, free in its influence of its nation, of, of, the na- of influence in the, the nation. So its purpose is to take all of those things and to influence the nations of the world. And in Revelation, it says that such is the corruptness of her, this city, uh, that uh, it has committed fornication with the nations. Extraordinary statement. It says that it has brought into the nations uh, corrupt riches. So it has brought corruption in the form of money and sex and power into it. And that it has caused the nations of the world to, to grow with every kind of depravity. So great city, like to live there. But God will punish her and will repay her for what she has done. And she will receive a judgment and the judgment will be that you will be no more. You find that in the book of Revelation. But this final eradication uh, clears the way to a different city, the New Jerusalem, who is likened also to a woman, but not to a mother of all whores and a harlot. But this woman, this city, is faithful. She's pure. 
She is beautiful. She is adorned like a bride, but not on my big fat gypsy wedding type of thing. Not one of those. She is um, glorious. And it says that this city will enjoy the presence of God forevermore. It says in this city there will be no more sorrow. Fancy living there? That's good, isn't it? I've had some tears this morning. Just as No more sorrow. No more pain. No more tears. Sickness. No more. It even says things like the former pains will be passed away. It says uh, in the book of Revelation that this city will be located on the top of a mountain. So it will have a prominent place, unlike the depths, as it were, of Babylon. And it will be of an immense proportions. And it will be visible, strong, glorious, powerful, wonderfully built, and a great place to be and live in. Such is the the glory and the splendor of living in this city. That it says pictorially that its walls, its four walls, will be made of gold. Can you imagine that? Walking towards that city, being in this city, what that would be like, particularly on a wet morning in Wales. It says that its gates, its three gates, well, they'll be made of wicks, I suppose, from the catalogue. No, jasper. Jasper. Pure jasper. Its foundations will have sand and cement and water. No, precious stones. There will be, though, no temple, no altar in this city. The sun and the moon will be no more, for God's presence will light up the city. That's something that we're yet to understand, isn't it? We're quite used to the light, but now this one. And it says that there will be a river of life flowing from this city that will bring peace and abundance to all that it touches. Imagine that. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would be something to dive into, wouldn't it? And it says that from this city that God will, uh, will reign forevermore. Uh, Revelation 22. Now when we come to the book of Hebrews, which we've read, Hebrews translates the entirety of Christian life into the language of the city. So salvation, it tells us, takes us out of one city to the gates of another city. And finally, we enter into this brand new heavenly city. But what happens between our journey between city to city then? That if we've come out of Babylon and over here is the the new Jerusalem, as it were, we've left this city, now we're moving into this city, we've left the values of this city, now we're living, we're going to... What happens in the journey between city to city? The writer to the Hebrews tells their readers that they have already come to the city of the living God. Describing, it says, you've come to the city of the living God whose foundations are designed and built by God. Hebrews chapter 11. He said it's a city that is prepared for, that will be prepared by God and full of life. This city is the image of the church. You have already come to the city of God. The church. You have come to God's city on earth. The church. Now, these Jewish uh, Christians that the writer is uh, writing to, they'd never met Jesus in person. Some of them had actually died for their faith. And they were what the Bible calls, uh, or historians call, Hellenists. 
And that is very important in the context of what we're reading because Hellenists knew the Old Testament in Greek. And the reason that's important is that they were people who knew the Old Testament. They were not random psalm flickers in worship. They knew it. They knew its history and they knew it also in a modern language of Greek. They knew everything about it. And that is important in this context. Because according to the writer, they had neglected fellowship outside of their circles. So what they'd done is that they'd said, well, we're going to get together, us Hellenists, and we'll ignore the other people that are around. And what was happening is the writer is using the imagery that they knew from their past to urge them to build the city of God in the place that they are. To not be an exclusive little thing, but to build this wonderful city. See, when, when the writer talks about city to them, they would have known exactly what, they, what he meant. They, want, they were saying, look, I want you to build the church, the city of God. And they knew that they could look back that they could look forward and that they would know what this city that they are to build should look like. They knew what they should build, what it would be like to live in. Now as Hellenists, their own history showed them that they knew that there had always been a people that had gathered to the city. That the city and the thought of the city was important in their history. But actually, that it was that they could see that you know year upon year these people gathering and the importance of a people who would gather from wide and far to this city. Can you see some of the imagery now? A people gathering to the city from wide and far. They knew in their history that sometimes the city needed protecting. Sometimes the city needed to be defended. And that they needed to be a people that not only just built the city, but defended it and protected it and were proud of it. We're proud of our city. They knew that sometimes they they themselves had neglected the city. That in their history, they could look back into periods of time when the city was neglected. And you know, in our history we can neglect the city of God, the church. So there came times where sometimes the city needed to be restored and built. And people like David, they knew, brought great dignity to the city and great sense of worth to it. And people like Ezra and Nehemiah were prepared to make long journeys at their own personal expense, because they believe that the city should become this wonderful dwelling place of God once more. And we too will be need to, if we believe the city of God on earth, will need to be at our own personal expense. We will need to sacrifice ourselves and say, come, let us build and restore the city of God. I don't know whether you like the psalmist. When was the last time that you, by the rivers of Babylon, sat down and wept because you remembered what your city is like? Do the empty chairs make you weep? Do you, do you weep over what isn't, what could be? The psalmist exhorted people Some of the Psalms are exhortations of people to go to the city. Did you ring up this morning and say, come, I want to exhort you, come to the city of God. That's what the Psalmist Psalms were about. Did you ring up? Did you text? Did you email? Did you Facebook? Did you Twitter, Rupert Leslie? Come on, let's get to the city of God. Why don't we be a bunch of psalmists? Weeping psalmists sometimes. Sometimes we're not moved over the city of God. 
Now, members of Gateway Church, what type of city are we going to build? How will history record us? How are you going to build the city of God? Are you going to build? Are you going to take a leaf out of the Hebrews and build the city of God? Okay, let's take it to the passage then. Because uh, none of that's the passage, really. So what does the passage say? Well, I'm going to be try and be faithful to it. Um, because uh, some of the things I want to say are not in the passage. So I've got to be frustrated and stick to the passage. Because uh, I'd love to talk about some other things in regard to the city, but I'm not allowed to, so I'm sticking to the passage. In verse 18 and 19, you'll find that our author... Uh, contrast the law given to Moses to the gospel. There's a reason for that. Because I don't know whether you ever looked at the law-giving moment. It's awesome. The events are staggering. Aren't they, if you think about it? I, I, well, uh, I would have liked to have been there, just to have seen that. Why are they being contrasting? Because in biblical thought, more awesome are the privileges of the gospel than the Moses incident. You are more privileged in receiving what you have received than Moses receiving the law. It is staggering for you. And if Moses were to come back, he'd come and poke you. Because even Moses knows those things. Staggering as it was. Mountains. Stuff going on in the heavenlies. Tablets of stone. All that sort of stuff. Presence of God. His voice. It is awesome. But not as awesome as the gospel that you have received. Wow. We'll find out later that that in our city, those who love Jesus and the gospel can enter into the most holy place with confidence. We'll finish with that. Here's Moses. Wasn't that confident going up there? Here's you, confident. You are more privileged than Moses. What? But the context is actually stern. Because uh, the context of Hebrews is also a warning. Because it's, it's the, the writer is warning those who have begun to sort of make an approach to the gospel, have begun to warm and are falling back or walking away. And they are also reminded that the consequence of despising the gospel is worse than despising the law. So the benefits are greater, but the consequences also are worse. Don't play with the gospel. Don't play with it. The description of the terrors of Sinai are based on the accounts that you can find later this afternoon. Uh, But if you want to read Exodus chapter 19 and 20, and uh, after then 40 years, Moses writes them again in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 4. And you can read all those things. But let's put us in context so that we know what's going on here. Exodus chapter 19 and 19, it says, And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him. How? How did God answer him? In thunder. Now put yourself in Moses' position. I think this is a nappy moment. <laughs> I can raise my voice if I like, but can you imagine being spoken to in, in thunder? This is what this was like. This is... Fearful. This is terrible. Moses, I've chosen you so that you can go up on the mountain and listen to me. Okay. Couldn't you choose somebody else? This is that sort of moment. Down at the bottom, what are the people seeing? 
There's Moses, he's trotting up the hill. And the people describe it like this. They say, what we can see from the bottom is smoke. Where did Moses go? Well, that's the end of Moses then. It literally is this, that from their perspective, it's covered in smoke. Now, as far as I know, if it was your house that was on fire, you would panic. I don't think that's just, well, no, you all look calm. You just carry on uh, watching the football while the place burns. Uh, Smoke and fire are awesome things. This is what the people are looking at. They're looking at smoke bellowing out. It says it comes up like a column. What else do they feel? Moses goes up. Here they, perhaps they hear the thunder. It's smoke. It says the ground shakes. Now as far as I understood, we, we have only ever experienced an earthquake once in Rugeley. And it shook and I got out of bed in a second. I was up. And my words were, stupid, what was that? As if Callie would know. What was that? I don't know. You find, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you find yourself standing in the room. And you just think, what am I doing? And I don't know what am I doing. I'm just standing here going, what was that? And it just, for a moment, it shook. Now, this, that was called a minor trip. Have you ever, look at the news, look at the news when it says, when you see people in, in, in Asian countries that go through earthquakes, how do they react? Well, they carry on walking and do, do they heck? And when you see those newsreels, you can see the fear and the panic on their faces. And the people stood below the mountain looking up to Moses and it says, it shook. It shook. It says this in Exodus 20, verse 19. This so petrified them. I love this. Don't you love it when when you project things on somebody else? Here's the people projecting onto Moses. Uh, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. You go. I'm not going. You go up there, you know, lest we die. They knew that this was a cannot-get-near moment. Now, this is the city that you have not come to. And we need to learn this because this isn't the way that we motivate people. Because what we can slip into, we can slip into fear and judgment and no grace, and we can tell people about God, we can lead by judgment. This is the city that we've not come into. This is not how we build anymore. That's why we shouldn't recover some of the Old Testament things in church life. Yes, that's on the internet. Why should we? Because the Bible clearly tells us this is what you have not come to. So we shouldn't do it. So all that stuff about we need to recover all this, that's not the way that we build. This is old covenant stuff. Verse 20, even the beast who strayed on the mountain and it came in contact with so much holiness. Can you imagine that? Poor old donkey. Little goat. High on a hill in a lonely goat. Hoodly, hoodly, hoodly. You know, little goat goes up on the top like this. Gets, gets infected by the holiness of God, comes downstairs and they go, we cannot get anywhere near the goat. The goat has become too holy for us. The only answer is to, boo. we have to stone it. It tells you that all animals, I always think, did that include the spider? Do you ever wonder things like that? What about this? 
and and were they glowing some sort of color also we can spot but it is to such was the holiness of god that it would could end up on the goat the goat could not come in contact with people the only answer because of this holiness was to kill the goat it's incredible isn't it you have not come to this Verse 21, not only were the people terrified, but Moses was terrified. <laughs> he was, it says, he says in the passage that we, we read, I was terrified. This is the chosen person. This is the one, the one. Now you would think some, some sort of deal went like this. Moses, we, I'm choosing you to lead these people and we're going to have a sort of working relationship here. You and I will work this out. Well, whatever Moses saw terrified him. This is the working relationship. He terri- You wonder how he did it, don't you? How did Moses lead these people? Do I have to go? I've got to go there. He terrified him. Think about some of the incidents that you read. The burning bush moment. That was a moment of joy for him, wasn't it? We sort of we you know, tell a little Sunday school story here, burning bush, Moses goes, Hello Lord, you know. <laughs> Come on. He you know, in the words of you know he did I mean it would have just you know just come on guys. How about his reaction to the the golden calf incident? I am dead here. That's the joy of leading a church and not being... Mo- Moses thought, because of the sin of the people, that I am dead here. It, I'm really pleased because of your sin I'm going to survive. I'm really pleased that we don't build like this. Because that's what Moses thought. Moses thought, the people have sinned, I am dead. <laughs> Do you know there are people actually that build churches like this, by the way? Again, you've not come to this city. We do not build with these values. In fact, we, we demolish. That's what the Bible tells us. We knock down legalism, rites, rituals, consecration, fear, terror, distance, one-man mediator. We knock it down. We don't build like that. We have to knock it down. If it comes up and it surfaces, we have to demolish it. Because we do not build like This is not the city that we want to dwell in. But you have come to. Verse 22. The events of Exodus and the wanderings of the wilderness are treated uh, into the New Testament as like a parable of the Christian experience in the church. But Christians have not come to a sacred mountain that can be physically touched. But we've come to the heavenly dwelling place of God. The true and the eternal Mount Zion. Now, let me just do this one thing first. But you have come to. That's really important. Because the way that we look at that, particularly in the Greek, is that we sort of think that we've arrived, we've walked to it. So you got up this morning, you got in the car, and you have come to the Catherine Finch Centre. That actually is not the way that that is. It means that something has occurred that has brought you to this place. You have come to. It's sort of, sort of saying something like, I'm going to try this, not very well. I am here. Something happens. I'm here. I wish I could do bigger, but when you're my age, that's about as far as you can get. It isn't that something happened. You didn't sort of, I didn't wander into my Christian, I just stumbled into the Lord. No, no. Something happened. You were in Babylon. Something happened of extraordinary proportions called the cross and now you have come to. That's the thing. You cannot stumble into Christianity. 
Well, I just did a course. No, rubbish, absolute poppycock. Come on, no, you have come to. God transported you out of darkness into or out of Babylon into this city. You have come to. It is supernatural, powerful, extraordinary. So now we have to build a city that looks like this. Not that with the big wheel and the gherkin. So what should we build then? What can we pick up that we should build? Mount Zion uh, was the site of the uh, Jebusite stronghold which David captured and he made it uh, his residence in the seventh year of his reign. He made it a religious center installing the Ark of the Covenant. And here's some of the scriptures that we can see that, uh, where that happens. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up uh, from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on cherubim. 1 Kings 14, 21. Now, Reboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Reboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned uh, 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had called, chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Neymar the Ammonite. Psalm 78. But he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built a sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. And later Solomon would build the temple on the north of Zion and install the ark there. And the name Zion was extended to a larger area. Psalm 122, verses 3 and 4. Jerusalem, built as a city that bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Earthly Zion was a place where people met with God and met with each other. It was a new city together. Here's the thing. (laughs) It was a city that met together. They met together to meet with God and they met together and it was a place that held the high value of the Lord. High value. So here's this people. Here's this people now that are saying, come, we need to come together to meet with God. And the umbrella over this city will be a high name of the Lord. It will be a chosen place for God to meet with his people. I wonder whether that's you. I wonder whether your view of the city is of that value. That you've come to meet with God. You've come to meet with each other. You've come because you want this place to to have a high value and high honour of the Lord. It was the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, in both Jewish thoughts And Christian thought, there's an earthly version of a heavenly Jerusalem. If you like, one found on earth and uh, one described in Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2, I saw a holy city. What do you see? What do you see? See the mistakes? See the problems? See the difficulties? See the challenges? Or do you see a holy... Do you know that will change you? I see a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Do you see this city as holy? Are you a member of a holy church? A bride? Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. Our author and John clearly see that there's a city of God yet to come and a city that we have access to. A place where God dwells amongst his people. Where does God dwell amongst his people? Is it an individualistic view? No, it's a corporate view. It's a city view. It's not individualistic. You know, so many times we we hear individualistic things that happen in regard to the Christian faith. So many times the Bible tells us that as soon as we get into individualistic thing, we move away from what God wants to desire. He wants to build a city of people together. It's up there. It's down here. I love some of the descriptions. Let's put some meat onto some of these descriptions to help you what this city should look like. What you should be building, by the way. What I should be building. I love this one. You have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. In, in, festal, uh, in a festal gathering. It just blows your mind what that might mean, doesn't it, really? What on earth is... Oh, I don't know. Well, no, don't go there, Nigel. Well, myriads of angels in a festal array. <laughs> what is that? Do you know the imagery keeps going back to and forth, but I just want to nail this one. It goes back to the 10,000 of holy ones who attended the giving of the law on Mount Zion. It goes back to... The thousands of thousands that Daniel saw as he served God. And it goes to the 10,000 upon 10,000 that are in heaven. What is this, innumerable angels? Let's put it like this. It's not a puny celebration. It's not a puny church. This is not just a, well, we're just faithful to the Lord. That's not what we're building here. Shouldn't be like that. This is not like that. Numbers matter to God. Let's put it on the table. So many times, oh, it's all to do the quality. Feel the width. No, come on, guys. This is not what the Bible says. It says that the city of God has innumerable angels. Let's put this theologically just to prove it. Innumerable angels, an unmeasurable amount of angels. You can't measure it, okay? That's what it says. Who are the, the, uh, these angels then? These are the ministering angels found in Hebrews chapter 1. This is only a repeat of what went on. Who are, the mini- mi- who are these ministering angels? Who do they minister to? You and I. So if there are innumerable ministering angels... By pure logic, there has to be innumerable people for the innumerable angels to minister to. That's the logic. So why are we building puny church then? Well, we're just a dozen of the Lord's faithful meeting together in the back room of the... Oh, come on. Numbers we should go for. We should. Because it is part of the plan of God to expand the city. It's the way it is. If you have come to build small, then you are not building biblically. If you have come to build innumerable, you are building biblically. If you want to be a part of this church, build innumerably. Numbers. Let's not be afraid. Oh, we're so afraid. I don't know. When I go to pastors' meetings, it's sort of like that thing that you cannot talk about. You know, well, we don't talk about numbers because we don't want to compare this church to this church. I'm not comparing any church. I'm comparing it to the Bible. Be biblical. This is not biblical yet. What is biblical 
is that week after week after week, we have more and more and more people coming to us, more and more people being saved, more and more people being changed, and more and more problems with room, more and more problems with their finances, who to give it to, what to do, raising people up, bringing more people out full time. What we should be looking at is buildings to, to buy and things, faith things we should be doing, not saying, can we manage? This is not innumerable, folks. We need to get a faith thing going that we're part of an innumerable thing. Let's just blast this. This is local. This is to the Hebrews. This is not, oh, it's just a picture of heaven. That was how I was brought up. It was true for, oh, when I get to heaven, there'll be loads. <laughs> it's just a few on earth. We're just the remnant on earth in heaven, innumerable. This was written to the Hebrews. You be innumerable. Here it is, letter to gateway. You be innumerable. Expand, guys. That's not waistlines. That is numbers. Go get numbers. Apparently, I shout too much. You have to turn it down. Sorry. You have come to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. Now, this may be a reference to those men and women who died in the faith uh, before Christ, uh, the spirits of the righteous, which is quoted later. It's more probably a reference to the whole community of saints. The church is about a gathering of the people who are elect. But look at the context that it places itself in. It doesn't just say, uh, we are the people. It it uses this assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. And what it does is that it places itself in the context of history. That's what it does. It says, look, we are part of a journey that came from here. And we're part of this journey and we're going here. We are history makers. Well, we're just gatherers, aren't we? No. We are here to make a history. We are here to make a mark on the town that we live in, on the places that surround us. We're not part of, well, just happened in the, in the sort of the 2000 and something, uh, uh, people gathered together in the university. Are you coming with me with this? Are you here to make history? To make your mark on history. To build something that the history will record and say, no, God was at move here. Okay, the sovereignty and all that sort of stuff. But you know, it has to be in our heart. I want to build something here that makes a difference. I want to build it that it not just touches the town and the community, but expands into North Wales and into the nations of the world. I want to be part of history, not just sort of this little part that happened here, but I want to be part of the assembly of the firstborn, right the way through to this massive assembly in heaven. I don't want to just exist while we gathered for while we get old. No, I want to make history. I want to be, I want to affect this town. This is what building church is. It's building numbers, building a people that will make a history in the town that they live in the surrounding areas. Will you make your mark? Or will church just mark you? We've come to the judge of all. The idea of God as a judge goes back to Moses. He stood before... He said, <laughs> I'm standing before the judge. It's awesome, isn't it? And uh, do you remember when he's, uh, who was, uh, he also goes back to Moses when he's taken advice from Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said, I want you to appoint people who are judged, who would judge the people at all times. We can say at this point that we've all been judged. Here it is, declared not guilty. But what happens when you stand before a God as your judge? What happens when you stand before a a, a judge? Well, actually, I've stood before a judge in a court. I stood in front of a a judge uh, on my company's behalf. I'd only just started for a company, and the company was taken to court. We nearly killed somebody. And uh, the job that I went, I went to represent. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. You're all right. 
but we dropped 40 tonne of steel on top of somebody, and they survived. So there's a health and safety thing, an idiot here had to go. And, and what happens is this, that you know when you stand, all your, all your company, well, at that time my company, was laid bare before the judge. I had to stand there while I listened to what they thought about us. It was highly embarrassing. I still think to this day the managing director should have gone and not me. Uh, but I did. And not only was I laid bare, but the press laid it bare even more. Because what was really interesting was that they wrote. So we appeared in several newspapers, and I appeared too, which was really embarrassing. What have we come to? Well, we declared not guilty. We are. But our, but, but our hearts are exposed to the judge still. What are we building? Well, we're not building anything more. We're fearful of the judge. But we are building something that is open and real and honest before one another. We shouldn't build church gatherings. We should be able to be real and open and honest and resist piety and religion. Let's be real together. Just be real. If we cannot be real here, when can we be real? Let's, let's not do the religious thing of the Old Testament, but the openness of the new covenant. Let's be real together. Let's build together real lives, coping with real things, just together as the people of God. We shouldn't build anything where people say they have to come to church and they have to behave like this. Remember that one? Come to church, you behave like this. No, come to church. Yes, we're working with sanctification and holiness and all those sort of stuff, but it has to be real. It has to be real. How long have I got? I'm going to stop in a minute. And Jesus is in the city. We've come to Jesus. What, what have you come to this morning? Come to a crèche? Sunday club? Anthony? Do you know, people, so many people come to church for so many different things. But here's the thing. What do we build? We build, we've come to Jesus. Did you get up this morning to come together to be with Jesus? Well, actually, I can't because I've got to put the chairs out. Or I've got to make the coffee. We, if ever we get into that, it's time for me to put my head in the oven. I only have one message, and this is this, that we come to Jesus. That's what we come to. We come to him. We come to what he has bought. We come to the new covenant I love, that's why I love that song, you know, Jesus shall take the highest honour. I was listening to some regional church the other week, the, the other, this week. I was doing my regional pastors thing, meeting with my, my team, and uh, talking about one particular church in our region. And they have made a decision on communion cups. They have gone away from the big cup because so much angst has occurred that they have bought... Do you remember those little SB... Mm. Do you know, when we get to that stage, guys, we lose the plot. We come to Jesus... And you do the, we're supposed to come together. Do you know that thing, you know, I'm not drinking out the same cup as you. I mean, I find that sort of thing really strange because we believe that God can heal us, but he might spit in it. <laughs> it's just awful, isn't it? We believe that God is our healer and mighty and gracious, but, you know, they've put their finger and they've just picked the nose or something and they've buried the finger in the bread. You laugh, but it's so true, isn't it? 
I've watched you do it. You shift. Look, you, they buried them in, and you graciously, with huge respect, turn the bread round, <laughs> and you break the thing. <laughs> what you don't know is that what I'd done to it three hours before you were on. just true it's just awful what do we get into come on build to jesus what did jesus bring he tells us he brought us a new covenant of forgiveness and and grace you know those are the things that matter we should be building grace. We should be begu- we should come to Him. It says in in it says some of these things. We should be full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of mercy. Those are the things that we should be building to. I think I'm going to finish because I think I've got fed up. But, <laughs> but I, I just I just want to finish with one 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 thing, and I, I'll do this because. You know, the, the, we, it's, it's, we be, we've come to a new covenant, not an old covenant. And in the, in the passage that we've got, you, you get this, this comparison with two bloods. And uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the, de- from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of his eternal co- covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do, do his will, working, uh, working in you that, uh, which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So here it is. We've come to a blood from the eternal covenant uh, something that is pleasing in his sight we we build a city that is based on his work alone in christ alone works no approval through works no in christ alone in Christ's blood. Why do I say that? Because the scripture that we read says it's better than the blood of Abel. Now the blood of Abel cries out from the ground protesting murder and appealing for vindication. And the blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness, cleansing and freedom from guilt. And we have to be careful what blood we preach. The voice we hear is very important. The voice of Abel is the voice of a sprinkled blood that cries out fairness. And the blood of Jesus, there is nothing fair, cries out grace. And that's what we should build in the city. We should build something that is focused on Jesus and Jesus' message of grace. That is, I love you, I forgive you, I purchase you, I cleanse you, I protect you, I keep you, I will always be there. It's what I did that is far more important than what you do. That's our focus Can I encourage us to build this city? Come with us as elders and build the city of God in Wrexham.